Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai, pastor of Church Life, and happy Mother's Day to all the ladies uh, in this room and those watching online. Hope you have a blessed and incredible day. Now, this morning, uh, we kind of developed a yearly tradition for my wife. So my three boys and I wake up early. Usually it's me preparing breakfast for my wife. Um, so I want to apologize to her right now for the fact that it may have been burnt. So that was actually the kids, not me. Okay. Uh, but I do actually have to ask forgiveness for, for, to her because, um, you know, like she is a great mom and a great wife. But this morning as I was getting ready to go to church, I'm opening up the front door ready to go. And I hear my four-year-old say, my pants are wet. And then I hear my wife say, your pants are wet? And I'm thinking, happy Mother's Day, went out the door and closed it. <laughs> so I apologize for that. I, I do apologize for that. So uh, Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Mark. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we may get a sense that this is like Groundhog Day, or we're getting a sense of deja vu. As we approach the middle part of the book of Mark, um, there's one scene we already had of Jesus feeding the multitude of 5,000. Now, here we have a similar miracle taking place um, where Jesus feeds the 4,000. Now, this passage of Scripture revolves around bread. Now, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love bread. Anybody love bread here? Okay, bread is so good. Too bad it's not good for you, but it is so good. You know, I remember a few years back, um, well, when COVID hit, everybody wanted to bake. Now, I was baking before then, so I was actually a pioneer in this. So one, one night, I decided, you know, I'll make dinner. You know, usually I make dinners on Thursday and Friday nights, hoping there's enough leftovers for the weekend so I don't have to cook anything at all. Um, give my wife a little break. She works, you know, part-time. Give me a little bit of break. And I, I thought, I made something. thinking bread rolls would be great to have with this meal. But we don't have any bread rolls in the house. So I go on the internet, the internet and I find this recipe. And, uh, you know, it tells you to do this, that, and everything. And it tells you to knead the dough. For those of your novices, kneading is basically taking the dough and massaging it, right? So I read it, and I'm thinking, knead for 10 minutes. So I'm kneading, and I'm thinking, at the eight-minute mark, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. So I look, I misread it. It said knead for 10 times. <laughs> Mind you, they were the best bread rolls we've ever had. You know, but I, but I love baking bread. And, my, you know, as I was making my, my, my wife said, why are you spending so much time doing that? Like, we have an appliance here in the kitchen that would help you with this. I said, what is that appliance? And she said, the mixer. Okay, now this is actually, what we have is a KitchenAid mixer, okay? And uh, if anybody from KitchenAid is watching, not a sponsorship here, but if anybody from KitchenAid Canada is watching, need a new fridge, microwave, dishwasher, maybe oven too. Thank you very much. But this is a miracle machine, it is good. So what I do is I put, the, I put water in there, and then put, you know, that little dry yeast activation thing in there. It froths, okay? Then I put the dough in, and it mixes, changes this to like a hook thing, and it makes the bread, well, it makes the dough, and then that's done. And then I clean off the counter, and then I put a little bit of flour on it, and then I take the dough, and I knead it, not for 10 minutes, Okay, and I, and, I, and I make a little ball of it, put a little oil in, put it in a bowl, cover it, and then it rises in about an hour. Come back, and I take the dough out, and it's nice and puffy, and the best part is punching the dough. It's like, if you're angry, just punch it, you know, and it goes down a bit. And then I then roll it out, cut it in half, and then I roll it like a cinnamon roll. And you're going to roll it really tight, because you don't want any air 
air pockets in there, right? In the bread. You don't want any holes in the bread. So I roll it, put it in the bread pan, and then I turn on the oven. No, actually, I let it rise for an hour. Beautiful. Then I turn on the oven at 350, put it in there for 25, 30 minutes. The smell of bread that is baking is absolutely wonderful. I know the Bible says that the promised land is a land flowing in milk and honey. Betcha it smells like baking bread, though. Okay, wonderful. So it's time to take it out, let it cool a bit. And, uh, you know, it tells you to brush it with a little bit of butter. But how many people know it's better with a lot of butter, right? So I just layer the butter on it. It's like beautiful. I cut it. Okay, put some butter on it. It's melting, going into nooks and crannies. And then you eat it. How many people are hungry right now for bread? Okay. Okay. And it is just wonderful. Bread is absolutely wonderful. So, um, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn them on or turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 121. I'd like for all of us to rise as we read the Word of God together. Mark 8, verses 1 to 21. This is what Mark writes. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get anyone to get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000. How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? You can be seated. So in today's biblical account, there are three groups of people found in this passage. Along with Jesus, you have the crowd, you have the Pharisees, and you have the disciples. And I want to study their hearts uh, towards Jesus today. So the message of my a message, the title of my message is Softening Our Hearts Towards Jesus. Now, there are times in our life when our hearts aren't really pliable, and they're not really soft towards God because of the need that we may have and may not come to pass. 
And in life, things happen. We all know that. And when they go against us, how do we react in our relationship with Jesus? Are our hearts softened or are they hard towards him? Big idea for this morning is three ways to soften our hearts toward Jesus in times of need. So let's dive into the passage. Jesus is now in the Decapolis region of the area. And what we are seeing is Jesus' ministry expanding from the predominantly Jewish area in the Sea of Galilee to a Gentile area. He's venturing into a new area. We saw this you know, a couple of weeks back when we were in the book of Mark as well. Now, for the disciples, this would have been really difficult because for the majority of their lives, they've grown up in the Jewish area. And now they're going to a Gentile area. Jews and Gentiles, they didn't really mix. For the Jews, it was hard because they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire, the Gentiles. So for them, it was very difficult. And here they are going and ministering, being, helping Jesus in an area that is full of Gentile people. So here we have Jesus going into that area. And he is ministering to all the people and showing them the love of God. The redemption story of God that's found in the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, that talks about God's redemption plan. And it's not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all people, for everyone, for those who hear, let them hear. Now put yourself in the shoes of the people in the Decapolis area. Now imagine this. You are living in that area. You've heard some rumors about this guy he has really good teaching, and yeah, he performs these miracles. But you're in an area that's very, very remote. There's only 10 other major towns in the area. And you have this need, and, and life is difficult. Where are you going to turn to when you have a need? You can't count on government support because it doesn't really exist, because government can't give you any of those needs. You can't count on family because they're in the same situation as you. Everyone has a need, and nobody can really help you in it at all. And all of a sudden, you hear that this guy, who you've heard far, far away, is now coming closer. And he has great teaching, and he performs these miracles. You're intrigued. You then go out, and as you go out, you're there maybe with you and your family. But then you see other people gathering. This gathering gets bigger and bigger. It becomes a crowd, and the crowd gets bigger. There's tens of people, but then there's hundreds, and then there's thousands of people, and they're all ready to see, could this be the guy that gives us hope? Could this be a guy that's going to take care of our needs? Could this be the person? So let's dive into the scripture. So during those days, there was another large crowd that was gathered. And they came and they went to hear Jesus. Now, as they are there, they brought enough food, but provision is running out. And they have this need for food. Food is a basic need. Now, they, have, they may have been thinking, you know, we've been here listening to this guy. We brought our own food. And we're running out now. Does anybody care that we're actually hungry now? Does anybody really care about this situation we're in? And maybe their hearts are hardening at the fact now, we may not be in that same situation, that we may not run out of food, but we may feel that our needs are not being fulfilled. We may think that no one cares about us. God doesn't care about us, but God does. Jesus is there, and he's focusing on all of us. The first way to soften our hearts to Jesus is to open our hearts to Jesus' 
compassion. There are times when we are in need and we don't see anything really happening. And we think God doesn't care, but he does. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that God uh, sits upon the circumference of the world and, and he sees the people. He just doesn't see us, but he empathizes with us and he looks at us and he cares about us. And he cares so much. In verse 2 it says, Jesus has compassion for all of these people. Jesus sees their need and he shows great compassion over the crowd in a time of need. It's been three days and they have had nothing to eat at all. They've come from a long way. It's a desolate region. You can't go, you can't go to the nearest Tim Hortons. It doesn't exist. You can't go to the nearest McDonald's. You're not going to get a Happy Meal. There's nothing around. There's no stores. There's nothing around. It's a desolate place. But Jesus shows this great compassion over the people. And if he does let them go, what's going to happen? They're going to collapse on the way. They will, because they've come from a very long distance. See, Jesus sees their need, and he shows great compassion over the crowd. And as he's talking, he's talking to his disciples, and his disciples answered, well, where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? Now, every time I read this passage of Scripture, uh, remember, this is the second miracle of the feeding of the, of, of, of the multitude. I have to laugh at the disciples' question here. Really? Were you not there at the first miracle? Were you not there when there was another multitude that, need, that was hungry that Jesus fed them? Were you not there? Have you forgotten about that? And I'm wondering if the, if, the, if the disciples were wondering that, well, God fed his, the Jewish people, would he do the same thing for the Gentiles? And the answer is yes, he would, because God cares for every one of us. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter if we're male or female. It doesn't matter uh, what our ethnic background is. God loves all of us, and he's going to meet the needs of the people. Then he asked this question, how many loaves do you have? They replied, we have seven. So he tells the crowd to, to sit down, on the ground, he takes the seven loaves, he gives thanks to God, he breaks them, gives it to the disciples, because he gave it to the disciples because the disciples need to minister. You know, you're not just ministering to your Jewish brothers and sisters, but you're ministering to all people regardless of their background. That's what it means when we are disciples of Christ in 2023, we minister to all people regardless of their background, no matter what, because God calls us to be ministers, to ministering to all people. So then later on, it says that they found a few small fish. Remember, they were by the lake. Now, this small fish would be, would be equivalent to, well, there would be sardines. Anybody like sardines in this room? Okay, so we're going to have a person here praying for you after, okay, <laughs> to be released from liking sardines. I don't like the smell of sardines, never have, never will. We had a person on staff that liked sardines. He's no longer here. <laughs> He retired or something. Might have been uprising against sardines. I don't know. It was nothing like that. But, but okay, so he does the same thing with, with the small fish. And what does Jesus do? He gives thanks to God. And he tells the disciples, yep, it's time for you to minister to the 4,000 people and to give them food. This is what we're, we're supposed to do. Verse 8, something interesting happens here. It says the people ate and they were satisfied satisfied. When God meets our needs, we are completely satisfied. It's 
it's basically, it's over the top, really. That's not quite biblical wording, but hey, that's what it means. Satisfied over and over, fullness of there. And this is what the disciples have done. They pick up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, this is different from the last feeding, because in the last feeding, they had picked up basketfuls, it says, but the baskets were like actual baskets. Where he is in this part of the Sea of Galilee, these basketfuls are really gigantic bags of animal skin that they are huge and it's full of so much food. The people were satisfied and Jesus met their need. And it goes on. And 4,000 were present there. 4,000 including men, women, and children. Now when you look at the need of the people, uh, physically, it's for physical fulfillment because they were hungry. The basic need was food. Yeah, they were hungry. And Jesus had great compassion over there. However, the actual need of the crowd was not physical fulfillment. It was something more. It was spiritual. And it was divine nourishment. So what Jesus was doing, Jesus was sharing the message of God. He was sharing, yes, the gospel. He was sharing about God. The interesting thing is that you have the word of God... Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here you have the word of God in Christ sharing and proclaiming the word of God to the people. And the people heard. And what was being satisfied? It wasn't their bellies, but it was their soul. He was there to give them divine nourishment of the soul. Telling them and teaching them about a relationship with God which is the most important thing. The greatest need humanity has is a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. And in times of needs that we have, our hearts must be softened at all times towards God because of his great compassion for us. The text says that he gets into the boat with his disciples and he goes to the region of Dalmanutha. Nobody knows really what Dalmanutha is. They believe it's on the other side of the lake, predominantly in the Jewish area in the region. So he goes to Dalmanutha. And as he's going back, he has his welcome party on the other side. And I'm saying that, you know, it wasn't really a welcome party because he, over there, he gets to see these people, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the religious elite. They don't like Jesus at all. And they began to question Jesus and they began to test him and saying, we want to see a sign of, from heaven about who you really are. The second way to soften our hearts to Jesus is to close our hearts from testing Jesus. So here's the thing. The Pharisees have this constant desire, this need to constantly do everything their way, to constantly go against everything that Jesus has said and what he has done. Their theological viewpoint is absolutely categorically opposite of what Jesus' view is, the true view. Now, sometimes when we are in a situation, in the need, we may fail, and we probably really do fail in the situation that we are in, knowing that God is there helping us and preserving us, but we decide to actually, believe it or not, test God himself. We tend to test his faithfulness. God, I'm in this need. Show me that you're faithful. 
And the Pharisees are self-absorbed people. And this is what they are believing. And this is what they are saying to Jesus. Jesus, we're believing in our own path, Jesus. Even though you're the son of God, you know, but we don't believe in what you're, what you're saying. But what we are believing in our own path, their own thinking, their own philosophy. That was totally wrong. And the Greek word for testing, when it says in Scripture that they were testing Jesus, it's equivalent to they were harassing him. It was harassment. It wasn't a nice discussion about theological debate. But it was hostile against Jesus. They hated him. And the hostility manifests, manifests itself into, we want to see a sign from you, Jesus. We want to see a sign. All this time, Jesus has been publicly declaring a relationship with God. He's making, all these miracles are taking place. That wasn't done in private. That was done in public. All of these things that Jesus has done was never done in private. The people would have seen. The Pharisees would have seen. Nothing has changed with the Pharisees. They always believe in what they want to believe in. They are believing in their own path. And many times when we are in times of need, we decide to choose our own path. And we decide to question God's faithfulness in certain times. God, are you really faithful? Are you really faithful? You know, what we need to do is we need to trust in God's way. Because if we truly believe that God saved us from our sin, if we truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, take the wrath of God on that cross, died on the cross for our sins, if we truly believe that, if we truly believe that he was risen from the dead, if we truly believe that he ascended into the heavens, if we truly believe that he wanted us to have a relationship with God, we should trust God's way. If he is the one who has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us, we should trust in God's way. And many times when we're in the time of need, we may not do that. When we have known over and over again, when God has been faithful in all the other needs that we've ever had, God has been and will be faithful. He has been faithful in the past. We've proven that. He's proven that. He has been faithful. He will be faithful in the present. We just have to be in that situation, and he will be faithful to us in the future. So we must trust in God's way. You know what happens when we test God and say, God, because this is what the Pharisees are doing. Prove yourself, Jesus. Prove your faithfulness. You know what happens if we don't trust God's way? Let's look at verse 13. It says, Jesus, he, he sighed deeply. English language is really weak in this because it's not just a, it is grief. It is an absolute grief. It's an utter disappointment. Pharisees, you know the scriptures. You have seen the prophecies. You have read it. You teach it. And yet you fail to see who Jesus is in front of you. That every single thing that was prophesied in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Malachi, which was the Bible that they read at that time. His New Testament was one formed yet. Jesus is in the scripture, and yet you fail to see. You are the ones that are supposed to see what is happening here, that Jesus is there. So Jesus is deeply grieved. It's like, I, I don't believe you guys. It's not a lack of intelligence. It's not a lack of remembering. 
It's about doing what they wanted to do as opposed to what God was showing them. And Jesus decides, you know what? I'm not playing this game. Why does this generation ask for a sign? I truly tell you, and he declares no sign will be given to it. Then Jesus left them, goes back in the boat, and crosses over to the other side. He's going to the other part of the Sea of Galilee where it's predominantly Gentile people again. We must never get to the point where we decide in our hearts that we, it's best for us to do our own thing. Trusting in our own ways. That doesn't work. But trusting in God's ways. We can trust him. We can totally trust Jesus in all things that we have. So let our hearts not test God, but let's follow God and trust him. The third way to soften our hearts is to protect our hearts from hardness, from hardness. This is something that we daily have to do. We have to intentionally do this. We live in a world that's physical world, but it's also spiritual as well. There are, there are entities, the enemy, the devil is against us, wanting to put a wedge between us and our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. And this is a reality for all those, I'm sure many of you in this room know that. But it's a decision we make every single morning. We need to protect our hearts from any type of hardness. So Jesus goes back in the boat with his disciples. He goes back to the Decapolis area. And we got to remember Jesus' mindset right now. He's thinking about this conversation, this interaction with the Pharisees. He's just constantly thinking about it. Verse 14 says, Disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf. Okay? So I could imagine the, the disciples in the boat, they're like, okay, we haven't eaten anything and we only have one loaf. Okay, what are we going to do? Okay, we're hungry. Okay, and um, this is not going to go well because we had a lot of food left over, but none of us brought it. I don't think any of us brought it. Now, when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, he's, again, he's thinking about this interaction and he loves his disciples. And and he says to his disciples something very important. He says, be careful. He says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Yeast, sometimes this is translated to, to leaven. Okay, so let me explain this. Right now, if you want to make bread, you buy this you know, dry yeast and you know, it raises the dough and everything. Back in those days, they didn't have that. They couldn't go to Walmart or Superstore and get that. So they would make the dough, okay, and it would rise. Then what they would do is they would take a piece of the dough and store it safely because next day they're going to make bread. So they bake this dough, becomes bread. The next day they have flour, they have oil, they have water. They, they have that, and then they take the yeast or the leaven, the leaven, incorporate it into the dough. Thing about yeast and leaven, it spreads throughout the whole dough, and that's how things rise. Okay, and then they would repeat that over and over again. What Jesus is saying is be careful of the sin, because in this, yeast really means sin. Be careful of the sin, because it's going to go through you like crazy, and this stuff is going to keep you away from Jesus Christ. It's going to keep you away from God. And he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, and that is being a hypocrite, and that of Herod, and that being worldly. Be careful of the yeast. 
So Jesus is in the boat, and he's telling them all this. He's talking about the yeast. And then the disciples aren't really thinking of this, uh, this conversation he had with the Pharisees. So then the disciples, um, they're discussing with one another. And they're thinking, oh, Jesus is talking about the bread. He's talking about the bread. Peter, do you have any bread? No, I don't have any bread. Does Thomas have any bread? I doubt it. Does, <laughs> do, the, do the sons of thunder have bread? No, but they're pretty strong. But... Do you think Judas has bread? No, he probably sold it and kept the money. Okay? So, so they're thinking, oh, no, Jesus is talking about the bread. We don't have any food. What are we going to do? And then uh, one of them says, uh, it's because we have no bread. Right? Jesus, that, that's why you're a bit upset. Again, Jesus loves the disciples, and he's there to warn them about what has just happened, this altercation with the Pharisees. And, and Jesus, he is aware of their discussion. And then Jesus asks these rhetorical questions. And he says, why are you talking about having no bread? It's not about the bread issue. Do you still not see or understand? He says this interesting thing. Are your hearts hardened? We saw this in the book of Mark, chapter 6, a few chapters before, when Jesus was walking around the water. Are your hearts hardened? Are they hardened? Going to 18. Jesus says, do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? Don't you remember? When he speaks of this part with the eyes and the ears, that is basically quoting Isaiah 6. Do you not have the eyes to spiritually see? Do you not have the ears to spiritually hear of what is happening? Everything that the disciples were doing was looking through a lens that was totally categorically opposite of what Jesus was trying to show them, that, that, that they were leaning on something else. What the disciples were leaning on, they were leaning on worldly wisdom. We assume that the disciples were actually in the know of who Jesus was. Okay, that is the assumption that we make many times. But it's clearly that they're not in the know who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. But they're not really in the know. They're not really totally 100% sure. But they leaned on worldly wisdom. Jesus wanting them to see things differently. Not through the eyes of the world, but through spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. He goes back to the miracle of the bread and asks his disciples a few questions. And he's hoping that their spiritual eyes and ears will open up because of the truth. In verse 19, he asks these questions. When it broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Next. And when it broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? seven. They have all seen the evidence. Do they really have spiritual eyes that see or spiritual ears to hear? They've been with Jesus for, for quite a while. They should have remembered how abundantly Jesus had provided for the needs of the people. Their need is to be in spiritual discernment. Now we are human beings and we need to have that discernment. We are naturally deaf and blind to the spiritual things that are out there because of our sinful nature. But the word of God needs to come to us. 
But when it does come to us, if we really need to reflect on this, when God's word comes to us, is there a covering, is there a callus over our, our heart and bounces off? Or do we absorb the word of God that comes in and to helps us? Jesus asked this last question. I'm going to end with this. Do you still not understand? The only way to understand is to have a spiritual discernment. And spiritual discernment comes when the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes and our ears with the truth of God. Now, we can easily be dismissive of the disciples. We can say, disciples, what, what's wrong with you guys? Seriously? For like two or three, for three years, you were with the man. You were rubbing shoulders with Jesus. You saw the miracles. You, you heard the teaching. We have the teaching in, in print. They had it right from the source that Jesus was actually saying all these things. Really, disciples, you don't get it? You don't understand? We can so quickly say that about the disciples. But you know what? We who are followers in Jesus, a little bit better off than the disciples. See, they may have had Jesus standing with them shoulder to shoulder. But what happens when a person becomes a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? When they ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins, when they believe that Jesus is the only God, when they commit their life to Christ, what happens? The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, co-equal with Father and Son, lives within us. We have the Spirit of God within us. So as much as we point to the disciples, how could you not have spiritual discernment? We have to look at ourselves. Why do we may not have spiritual discernment? In times when we are in a need and we need to see things with spiritual discernment. When we are in situations of great need, what are we really like? Are we constantly intentionally softening our hearts towards Jesus? Question, is your heart open to Jesus' compassion? Is it, is it closed from testing Jesus' faithfulness? Are you protecting your heart from hardness? It's all about softening our hearts towards Jesus. You know, what's going to happen when the need arises? When your next need arises, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in your life? Because a need's going to come up, no matter what. What's going to happen? Are you going to throw your hands up in the air and say, you know, I give up, oh, I can't handle this, it's crazy? But I want to encourage you to remember God's compassion over you. Remember what he has done in the past and his faithfulness in the present and in the future. And always, always, Protect your heart from the hardness that the enemy wants to give you with your relationship with Jesus Christ. The incredible thing about the heart is that everything flows from the heart. In the physical realm, you know, our heart, blood pumps through it and it gives us nutrition all over, the, all over our body. It helps us live. Spiritually, it's our, it's our heart as well. Our heart has to be in the right place. You know, this past week as I was preparing for this message, um, it was like... 10.30 or 11 o'clock, I, I get a notification from my Bible app and I, and, I, and I open it up and it gives me a verse. And before I go to bed, I, I, I meditate on this verse. This is a verse that I had this week. Above all else, guard your heart where everything you do flows from it. From Proverbs 4.23. When you are in need, trust in Jesus. The greatest need that humanity has is needing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those who are Christ followers, you know that there's gonna be a need coming up, but always trust in God, 
Nobody's compassion. Don't test him. Nobody's faithfulness in the past, present, and the future. And always protect your heart from hardness. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every single word and paragraph that is written in it. We thank you, Lord, that is useful for us in living out our lives. And Lord, we thank you so much for a relationship with you. We thank you so much for life and life to the fullest. And Father, I pray for my friends in this room right now. Father, as they're maybe in a need or going into need, Lord Jesus, let them always place their hope and trust in you, for you are the one that cares, for you are the one that is always there. Protect their hearts from what the enemy is trying to do. May they always concentrate on you. May they always look at your compassion. May they always look at your faithfulness. And may they always make the intentional decision every single morning not to have their hearts hardened, but protecting their hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you came and died for us. Now, the greatest need in this world is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet, I encourage you to ask those questions about a relationship with God. He loves you and he cares for you. And if you want more information about being a Christ follower, I'd love to talk to you at the Info Center. Father, be with us now as we go. I pray a blessing upon all the mothers, let them have, a, and the spiritual mothers in this room, and bless them, O oh God, be with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.